They are the champions, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. Uh, the Nuggets, they've done it. They've won their first NBA title in franchise history. Uh, totally deserve it. And uh, it was nothing but complete and uh, a complete domination for the most part, I think, other than one game from the Nuggets where uh, the Heat basically got hot in game two. But other than that, games one through five, other than two, so one, three, four, and five, uh, it was basically all Nuggets. There was nothing the Heat could possibly do, except maybe, you know, there was an inkling there where Jimmy Butler started to shoot well towards the end of game five. He was terrible all game. Uh, and then out of nowhere, he started making some threes and it was like, no way, no way he's going to do this again. He's going to drag this Heat team out of oblivion and bring them into at least striking distance to beat the Nuggets. But it didn't happen. There were some terrible foul calls. Game five, just in general, was just a disgusting game full of desperation and bad basketball. However, I would argue that there was no better version of basketball than the one that we saw last night. It's not the cleanest, most fancy, you know, and it, it'll never be called the beautiful game like uh, like soccer is called. Uh, but there is no better version of basketball when both teams uh, are playing like their life is on the line. Uh, this is the very end, you know, even even the Nuggets. Can, I mean, if they lose that game, they still have two games to finish the job. The Heat obviously playing out of desperation, uh, but, it, you know, turnovers everywhere, bad turnovers by the Nuggets at times, uh, some very bad shots by uh, some of the Heat players and the Nuggets players at times as well. Uh, and it just felt like there was desperation in the building. It was still a ton of fun to watch. Uh, in general, somehow, I, I can't believe the Heat were even in that game for most of it, to be honest with you. Heat in total shot 34%, 34% in that game, and they still nearly clawed their way back to winning that game. Uh, there were bad turnovers, terrible foul calls, some terrible foul calls. That Jimmy Butler three that was almost certainly everybody thought was going to be overturned. The announcers, uh, the S the ABC announcers, Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy, both thought it was going to be overturned like it was you know wishy-washy. They were looking at... They were looking at um, who who uh, got the rebound in, in that in that play after Jimmy Butler shot the three and the foul was called on the three pointer. They were looking to see who got the rebound in that ensuing situation because they wanted to see who was going to have possession. And then lo and behold, uh, the referees say the call stands. So it's three free throws, terrible foul calls. Um, and that was kind of it wasn't that bad throughout the night, but there were some questionable foul calls throughout the night as well. Uh, but for whatever reason, for whatever reason, it was a fun game to watch. I don't know why. Uh, it was 94-89, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. 94-89, uh, and the Nuggets walk away with victory. It was a, it was a, um, it was a game of previous generations, if you will. Decent defense throughout the night. Not a lot of shots being hit, uh, except for like Nikola Jokic. Obviously, Jamal Murray played a pretty good game as well. And and that's mostly just on the offensive side. Both I, there were a couple guys that really showed out pretty well. Michael Porter Jr. was very good on offense, or excuse me, on defense. Uh, and then Aaron Gordon, who's flying all over the the court. And same with Aaron Gordon; he's been fantastic through through the entire playoffs on defense, guarding some of the most difficult matchups in the entire season. But uh, of the entire um, of the entire playoff run, but uh, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, they did not have their best games. Today, Michael Porter Jr. did have, he finished with 16 points, a double-double, 16 points, 11 rebounds. He only shot for 7 for 17, though. And Aaron Gordon, he was quiet on the night on offense, 1 for 6 shooting, 0 for 2 for 3 uh, from 3. But he was very good defensively. Bruce Brown put up 10 points as well. Catavius Caldwell-Pope showed out a little bit. He had 40, uh, shot 40%, so not great, but 11 points as well. Uh, it, was, it was an ugly game. It was a very ugly game. I thought for a little bit, watching the first half, that... Uh, on the Heat side, Bam Adebayo had finally discovered uh, that once Nikola Jokic got in some early foul trouble, I really thought that Bam Adebayo had figured out that he is, even uh, even with Jokic on the floor, he's probably the most athletic player in the gym, uh, no matter where he's going to play against, other than maybe, uh, other than, you know, a Giannis type or something like that. The guy can do so much at his height and uh, his weight. He's super, he's incredibly strong. Uh, he should be able to attack the basket as good as anybody that size down low. And it looked like Bam Adebayo had finally figured that out towards the beginning of the first half of this game. Uh, but then Nikola Jokic comes back in. We seeing we keep seeing more and more. And this was the thing. A lot of people were saying he was having a pretty good series. And he was, I think, for the most part, he was really. And this is kind of how it's been for the Heat, basically, for the last three years. He is the anchor on defense for them. He is their version of Draymond Green, if you will. Uh, but man, he takes some terrible shots on offense. He, he is an elbow jumper king. That is, he loves taking that terrible, terrible, terrible elbow jumper whenever he doesn't, he feels like he doesn't have the ability to get to the basket. But he is one of the strongest guys on the court 
no matter who he's playing against, he is incredibly athletic. He can get to the line almost as good as anybody on that team. And when he is settling for those elbow jumpers like he has been all series long, even though he's making a, a decent amount of them, he shot 45% from the field in this game. Uh, even though he's making a decent amount of them, the Nuggets will let him shoot those all day long as long as he, I mean, clearly that was a, a way that they were winning. They were letting Bam Adebayo shoot those terrible, terrible uh, mid-range elbow jumpers all game long uh, with no threat of him coming inside. And uh, if he shoots those elbow jumpers, there's almost no threat of him getting an offensive rebound either, which uh, with Bam Adebayo being basically the the sole rebounder, you know, the best rebound in terms of height, you know, the tallest guy on their team, uh, especially in the starting rotation. Uh, if he's sh- out there shooting elbow jumpers, there's no chance for them getting an offensive rebound unless it's uh, bounced directly in their direction. Um, so, and the fact that, I mean, he finished with two free throw attempts, two free, two made free throws, two free throw attempts, uh, and he was nine for 20 from the field. It's just, it's so frustrating to see Bam in a bio play. I mean, he's a good player. I, I think he, if he just figures out, and I don't know what it takes for Bam on a bio to figure this out, figures out that he is able to uh, crash the basket, crash the offensive, or, you know, drive to the basket as good as anybody else in, uh, not not as good as anybody else, but as athletically as anybody else in the league because he is, you know, he, he doesn't have, you know, the dribble moves of Kevin Durant or anything like that, obviously. Uh, but he is he's a similar build to somebody like Giannis Antetokounmpo who is strong enough to get down low and fast enough to get down low by somebody, uh, and he does not have to settle for those terrible elbow jumpers uh, if there is somebody in front of them, put your back into them, back them down, bam, out of bio. Your name is bam, back them down and bam them up, bam, out of bio. And he should be able to thrive uh, in situations like that because he is so athletic and he is so strong. Uh, but to see him settling for those uh, elbow jumpers is just makes my head, it makes my head spin, you know, because you just know that he should be able to. I mean, Jokic, Jokic is an elbow jumper guy as well, but he's also somebody that can. I mean, he's one of the most efficient scorers when it comes to scoring in the post. And Bam Adebayo, it feels like most of the time he doesn't even attempt to do that. He just takes his elbow jumper and moves on regardless if it goes in or not. And it just, it's frustrating. It makes my head hurt. And he wasn't even, I mean, you know, he wasn't the reason they lost the series by any means. I mean, he was probably, uh, I would say, and this is, you know, they weren't the best in the series. Obviously, they only won one game. Nobody was really good in this series for the Miami Heat. Uh, but I I would say he was probably the best all around player in this entire series for the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler, uh, with whatever is going on there, he just did not play very well at all. He was not efficient. He put in he put up decent amount of numbers, uh, but compared to what he had been doing previously in the Eastern Conference on the Eastern Conference run, uh, it was nowhere near as efficient as he needed to be. He was averaging forty points a game in that series against uh, Milwaukee in that first round series. So. To see how far he's fallen, he only shot five for eighteen in this game, an all-time bad performance. To be honest, twenty-seven percent from the from the floor from Jimmy Butler in a, in a winner-take-all game, or in a, I guess not winner-take-all, but in a loser-go-home game. I guess is what I should say. Uh, to shoot five for eighteen from the floor, and really a lot of those made shots come in the you know final five minutes of the game, where and and in the other forty-three minutes of the game, he was basically you know he was basically just running around getting cardio out there, and that was kind of the story for a lot of. The entire backcourt for Miami. Uh, Miami was kind of a just a disaster in the backcourt. Uh, outside of Jimmy Butler, I mean, even Jimmy Butler, obviously he they were he was not very good either. Kyle Lowry was probably their best player uh, for the Heat in Game Five, which is I mean, Kyle Lowry has historically been very bad in the playoffs. He played very good in Game Five, though. I will give him that. He was hustling. He was everywhere on the floor. Uh, he, he didn't put up you know big numbers scoring wise. Obviously, he only had twelve points. Uh, but he had nine rebounds as a, as a tiny point guard that he has uh, two steals as well, a block. Um, and he was plus five on the night off the bench. So he was pretty solid, to be honest with you. He only shot four for 12, but the entire Miami Heat team did not shoot well. Um, but uh, he he was probably the best, um, the best player on the court for the Heat in that game. Uh, but other than that, uh, Gabe Vincent was completely non-existent in that game. He scored a total of 15 points in the final three games of this series. 15 points total in the final three games while shooting around 20%. Max Truce played a little bit better in game five, but in games one, three, and uh, and four, he shot a combined one for 21 with three points total. And if you're the Heat, uh, with, the, with the run that they've had, they've leaned very heavily on those guys in the backcourt uh, with a lot of their other guys that are kind of coming up and showing their ability 
uh, Max Truce being one of them, they cannot just disappear like that. An all-time bad performance from Max Truce, just in general, uh, I think, and and really the entire backcourt of the Miami Heat, they were just uh, bad this entire series. Um, but you know, for guys that they leaned on like that, like Max Truce and Gabe Vincent in those runs with, uh, you know, against the Celtics, especially against the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, against the Bucks as well, and then against the Knicks, um, you know, for them to disappear like that, they don't have the margin of error that the Nuggets do where, you know, if Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic aren't having the best nights, Nikola Jokic, you know, a bad night for him is maybe, you know, still 25 points or something like that on a non-efficient shooting night, but he still has a couple, you know, five plus assists or something like that. Like that's a bad night for Nikola Jokic, which is still a pretty good night, uh, but you could still, you could still lean on somebody like Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon at times he showed up in game four, like crazy shot the lights out in game four. Uh, arguably the best game of the series for not maybe not anyone outside of Nikola Jokic, probably the best game in the series for uh, anybody was uh, it was Aaron Gordon's uh, game four where he just shot the lights out of the gym and you basically could lean on him the entire game. Whereas the Heat, if you don't have good games from Bam Adebayo, you don't have good games from Jimmy Butler. There's not uh, the drop off between those two players. It feels like is pretty substantial other than the, you know, the random Caleb Martin game like we got in game seven in the Eastern Conference finals or something like that. It's not you can't rely. Apparently can't really rely on the consistency from those guys like you can Aaron Gordon, where he can just show up and he's become a very good three point shooter out of the corner or something like that. He's a good defender as well. Uh, It just doesn't feel like the Heat have, you know, their margin of error is so much smaller compared to somebody like the Nuggets, and even some of the other teams that they played against in the, in those Eastern Conference Finals, especially, you know, the Celtics, even though uh, I, I still think their margin of error is smaller than the Celtics, but, you know, the Heat just have been, no pun intended, incredibly hot during that run, and for them to kind of all come crashing down, everything stopped working all at once in the Finals uh, was pretty apparent when you look at a lot of their offensive numbers. I mean, this was a terrible offensive team uh, through the entire regular season up until Basically, the the final 10 minutes of the second play-in game that they were in against the Bulls, they were up until that point, they were a bad offensive team all season long. I think they were like 30th in in shooting and in stuff in, you know, similar areas like that in the NBA stats. Um, and then they just got hot at the right time. They leaned on Jimmy Butler like crazy to make, um, you know, go on insane runs like they did in Milwaukee, where he was averaging 40 points plus a game. Uh, and then the Knicks as well. And then Easter Conference Finals, you had a couple a couple other guys outside of Jimmy really step up and play well. Uh, and then, you know, if that's all not happening, then it kind of can become very ugly for the Miami Heat. And that's what I think uh, really happened here. As for the Nuggets, you know, there's not a lot much more you can say. Uh, I think that hasn't already been said. Consistently the better team throughout the series, obviously. There was one game where the Heat actually shot well, historically well, uh, and that was kind of the outlier for this entire series. But other than that, the Nuggets, they played, um, you know, not the best of basketball times, especially, you know, in Game 5. It wasn't the cleanest game of basketball that we'd seen, and it didn't matter. They were able to do the dirty work, and they were able to come out on top. Nuggets were bigger than the Heat, essentially every position. We made made things incredibly difficult for guys like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo to be effective at their position, Uh, and especially uh, Jimmy Butler. He had, it feels like, no answers for Aaron Gordon for most of the series. Um, He was still dropping, you know, 20, 25 points a game, but he was just not nearly as efficient. He wasn't getting the line nearly as much, Uh, and that is, I think, a testament to Aaron Gordon's ability and uh, just Denver's ability to slow Jimmy Butler down, whereas it felt like nobody else in uh, the Eastern Conference could slow him down when he was uh, when he was taking on the Knicks, the Bucks, or uh, the Celtics. I think Jamal Murray really launched himself into superstardom status. I think we're going to start talking about the duo that is Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray more in the upper echelon of uh, the current you know duos that we have in the NBA today because they have. They showed out. They they were incredible together. Uh, Jamal Murray really kind of transformed the way that he was playing the game. Uh, he went from a, you know a heavy solo score. He wasn't ever looking for uh, to pass the ball effectively very much before I think this playoff run and before he got hurt. He was much more of a uh, of a of a scorer in terms of uh, as a shooting guard a, a scorer. Um, but he turned into a very good distributor throughout the series. He had a, a couple games with ten plus assists where he averaged a triple or not average, but he had a couple triple double games as well. Uh, so he kind of really transformed his game throughout this run. And I think throughout the season as well, uh, he was able to kind of transform himself to become somebody that made the entire team better rather than just his physical and, you know, his 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 ability to score, which we all know uh, through Jamal Murray, his ability to score. Um, but his uh, the way he transformed his game 
really allowed this team to take it their abilities to the next level. He had eight assists in game five, which was the lowest mark that he had throughout the entire series. He had 12 assists in game four, 10 assists in game games three, two, and one. So a, a fantastic series for Jamal Murray. I really think he launched himself into um, a new, uh, into a new stratosphere, into superstardom. He only averaged 6.2 assists per game throughout the regular season and in the finals, 10, 10, 10, 12, and eight. Uh, so he really become and again a uh, good rebounding a uh, couple good co- a couple good rebounding games as well. He had a triple double in game three and then eight rebounds to go along with the eight assists in this game as well in game five. So he really was able to transform his game uh, in a way that really helped this team more uh, than you know than him being able to just score would have. That I don't think they win this series, not necessarily just this series, but I don't know if they make it to the NBA Finals if. Jamal Murray doesn't transform his game the way that he has, uh, and I hope that he's able to k- k- to keep his game this way, consistently perform uh, the way that uh, he did in the NBA Finals and throughout this playoff run. And this team will be around, uh, hopefully, for a very long time. We'll talk about talk about maybe some hangups here, hangups here in just a second. Um, but Nikola Jokic, I mean, what more needs to be said about Nikola Jokic? Uh, he became the first player in NBA history to lead the playoffs in points, rebounds, and assists all in one playoff run. He also led the uh, led the playoffs in win shares as well. I think he had five win shares throughout this playoff run. So he led them in basically led the playoffs in basically every statistical category. Um, he is now only one of nine players who have won an NBA championship, two MVPs, and a Finals MVP through just their age twenty seventh season. Uh, he is launched himself into one of the greatest players already uh, of all time. Conversation, not you know maybe not top 10 or anything like that. Obviously you can go top 30. I don't want to have that discussion necessarily, but uh, I think he is clearly one of the great players that we have seen on this planet. He's only 27. I mean, he's only 27. So he's coming up really, I mean, 27 to early thirties is really seen as uh, the prime of an NBA player's career. So, you know, we're seeing, we're beginning to see uh, maybe even just the beginning of a Nikola Jokic can have, but let me say this, the nuggets could be, not necessarily in some trouble. I mean, this is the day to celebrate, obviously, all the way up until Thursday. You know, you can celebrate and stuff. But I do want to look for, forward a little bit because this can, it could become a, a maybe a little bit of an issue uh, moving forward. I don't know how they're going to entirely be able, and this is something that NBA champions um, have had to figure out before in the past, um, but I don't know how they bring back this entire group. I don't think Bruce Brown is going to be back given the cap numbers that uh, the, the, the nuggets are getting hit with. Bruce Brown was a pivotal, pivotal piece to this team to make it into the NBA finals and ultimately win the championship. He's 27. He's only making $6 million a year, but he's got a player option uh, that ends obviously with this season. So I think he's going to opt out of that. He's going to probably command 15, $16 million a year. I don't think the nuggets are going to be able to, um, are going to be able to cough that up without really, you know, trying to shift some stuff around, trade some people, that sort of thing. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't see how they, how they really get around that. Um, so I don't think Bruce Brown will be back. Uh, another one that the, I might be early on this, honestly, but Michael Porter Jr. Uh, that contract is questionable in my opinion. I don't know what. To make, I mean, he's making $33 million a year this year, $35 million in 2024, $38 million in 2025, and $40 million in 2026. He is a decent player, but I don't know if he is worth that amount of money. And I think down the road, and, and I could be wrong, he's 25, so he could completely, just like we just saw Jamal Murray do, he completely could completely evolve his game into becoming a better player overall. But he did not play very well in this series. He shot 7 for 17. Uh, in game six, four of 10 in game five, one of seven in game four, two of eight in game two and five of 16 in uh, in game one. And he was just not very uh, effective other than on defense. He was pretty effective on defense, but he wasn't very effective overall, in my opinion, throughout the series um, against the Heat. And I think that and, I, you know, again, I could be jumping the gun early, but as we just saw in the biggest, with uh, the brightest lights on the biggest stage, and granted, I you know, I don't think they get here without Michael Porter Jr. either, but they also don't get here without Bruce Brown either, and there's a big difference between Bruce Brown making $6 million a year uh, and Michael Porter Jr. making $33 million a year, whereas there were times where Bruce Brown uh, felt like really, and Aaron Gordon as well. Aaron Gordon's another example. He's making $22 million a year, but there are times where Aaron Gordon really, 
showed out and kind of not not necessarily drug the Nuggets to where they needed to be to the promised land or anything like that, but he was the key player, just like we said in game four. He was, you know, he had arguably the best game of the series in that game uh, in terms of expectations and where he met him and he just shot the lights out. We didn't see any of that from Michael Porter Jr. He was decent on defense. He was, you know, he was kind of flying all over the court, but if he's just going to be an inefficient, you know, defensive stopper that can sometimes blow up for, uh, you know, a couple threes here and there that will lead him to 20, 25 points or something like that. Uh, but he's still inefficient, but he's a very good defender. That's not necessarily worth the $33 million you're going to be paying him. And ultimately the $40 million you're going to be paying him towards 2026. Uh, and Aaron Gordon is a similar player in that sense, but he's, you know, there's a, again, there's a big difference between the 22 million, 23 million he's going to be making in the next two years versus Michael Porter's 33 million and 35 million. He's going to be making in two years. So, I think that contract could become an issue. Granted, this could be a diamond in the rough con type of contract. They're paying Jamal Murray similar money. And if he, they've got two players under that contract, similarly, uh, whereas Nikola Jokic is, you know, making 40 plus 45 plus million dollars into $50 million over the next few years. Um, those two contracts could end up looking very good if Michael Porter Jr. ends up evolving his games, become becomes more efficient uh, at shooting the ball and, you know, stays relatively good defensively as well. Then I think that ends up being a pretty decent contract if that's what happens. But so far, we haven't really seen that. He wasn't good in the finals. Um, very inefficient, good defensive player, but very inefficient. Uh, I think Bruce Brown is probably going to be gone. He's going to get a player option. I don't think the the Nuggets are going to be able to offer him or match the contract that uh, that anybody else is going to be offering him because I would imagine, given the finals run that we just saw from Bruce Brown and just the playoffs in general, how good he was um, throughout the season, Bruce Brown. I mean, he they don't win a championship without Bruce Brown either as being that, that guy off the bench that really sparks a lot of offense. Uh, I can see him commanding 15, 16 million a year uh, in this next, in this uh, upcoming offseason where he's making 6 million right now, 6.8 million right now. So, I don't think the Nuggets are going to be able to uh, to match that contract, but we'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of maneuver it. You got Contavious Caldwell Pope that's coming up on a on a player option next year. Uh, they've got Aaron Gordon locked down up until 2025. Michael Porter locked down until 2027. Uh, Jamal Murray becomes an un unrestricted free agent in 2025 as well. It'd be interesting to see what they do there. Uh, but Nikola Jokic is uh, a, a a Nugget until basically the end of time. It seems like I think he's signed up until like 2029 or something like that. So he's going to be there for a long time. They do have a couple of veteran presences, you know, uh, going into free agency as well. Is Smith is going to be gone. Granted, they didn't play a whole lot in the finals. if played at all. I think DeAndre Jordan is the only one that really played uh, very much in that finals run. And that was in like game five, basically senior night. Uh, but he's a free agent. Uh, Reggie Jackson's a free agent. Thomas Bryant's a free agent. Jeff Green's a free agent. Is Smith's a free agent. So, they're going to have to find some other veteran pieces or they're going to be able to re-sign them back as well. But if they can't sign some of those guys back, then they're going to have to find um, some other veteran pieces to put around uh, the rest of that core. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see if they can kind of replicate it heading into next season. But for now, you know, nothing but celebration. Nothing but celebration for the Denver Nuggets. I do have some post-game notes, though, really quick. Some post-game observations um, about... Basically, just the trophy celebration that was happening on the court and that sort of thing. Just, you know, observations that I know that I noticed. Um, the owner of the Denver Nuggets, he's won a uh, a, high, a Stanley Cup in 2021. Or excuse me, not a Stanley Cup in 2021. A, a, uh, a Super Bowl in 2021 because he's the owner of the Rams. A Stanley Cup title in 2022 because he's also the owner of the Colorado Avalanche. And now an NBA Finals victory in 2023. So he won a Super Bowl in 2021, a Stanley Cup in 2022. And then a uh, an NBA championship, a Larry O'Brien trophy in 2023. I think he's the first owner to ever do that. Um, but that leads to my observation. Does Stan Kroenke uh, know how microphones work? That was very awkward on the podium. If you haven't seen the clip, uh, he is basically, I think it's Lisa Salters. If I, I apologize if I'm getting the name right. I think I, that, that's who that is. I think it's Lisa Salters was on the podium. You know, they're handing out the trophy and all that jazz. And she's talking to Stan Kroenke. Uh, but for whatever reason... Stan Kroenke, the owner of three very, very good and recently championed uh, and, uh, professional sports teams, American professional sports teams, uh, you'd think he'd know how to do this, but for whatever reason, uh, Lisa Salters asks him a question, kind of hands the microphone, you know, puts the microphones under his under his mouth because that's how you're supposed to talk into microphones. He kind of like leans into her ear and starts talking into her ear. I don't know what was going on there. Uh, 
uh, I would assume he knows how this works because he's been, I mean, he's been to back to back to back trophy celebrations. And this is kind of how all of them go. They talk to the owner, they talk to the coach, but you know, they talk to the principal owner and all that stuff. And I would assume he was talking into microphones in those situations. I'd like to see if the Super Bowl celebration in 2021, if he was talking into the ear of, you know, Michael Strahan or something like that. And then in 2022, he was talking to somebody's ear. Like, has he been doing this consistently? That would be really funny. Uh, that was my first observation. Stan, talking to the microphone. Don't talk into the ear. That was kind of weird. Uh, Nicole Jokic, champion, champion for all to see. But my question was, does he enjoy basketball? Does he actually enjoy playing the game of basketball? I think there's an actual story to be told about Nikola Jokic, given some of the celebrations that we saw from him. You know, granted, they all celebrate their own way. I'm not taking anything away from him. This is kind of a joke. But also, like, just the muted celebration that we got from him, He, I think he, he just doesn't... I don't know if he just sees it differently, you know? It feels like he just sees it as work more than something that like every kid grows up going, you know, getting into the situation and winning the Larry O'Brien trophy, winning uh, a title with your team, that sort of thing. And he's just like, yeah, you know, I think post game, he was talking to Lisa Salters as well. He said, I'm glad it's finally done. I get to go home, which is the funniest reaction to winning an NBA championship I've ever seen. Uh, then he was in the locker room. And he, he has the goggles on. He's about to show uh, like spray the champagne and he gets a champagne bottle. He shakes it twice. There's a little bit of fuzz that comes out and then he just walks away from the camera. It's so funny. It is so funny. Um, and I think the NBA inside, you know, they're probably a little, not upset, but they're like, you know, Nicola, can you show a little bit more emotion about this, please? I mean, show that you actually care about the fact that you actually won this. I mean, I'm sure that's probably what they're thinking. But again, I want him to win like 10 because it would be so funny just to see somebody like him dominate. And he's already it looks like he's already bored after one to see him win, you know, three in a row. God forbid. I can't imagine how bored like he wouldn't even want to be part of the. Uh, after three in a row, he probably wouldn't even want to be part of the champagne celebrations just because he's like, yeah, I've done this three times. You know, I don't really need to do anymore. I want to go home. And then even uh, the, the, he was made aware of the parade celebration and he was like, it's on Thursday. You know, he figured out it was on Thursday. He was like, I don't want to go. I want to go home. And I think maybe part of him, he just really misses Serbia, which fair enough, long way away. I mean, that's a long ways away from, from, uh, from Denver, Colorado. But, you know, it was just, uh, it was funny to see his, it feels like a very genuine reaction to doing something very successful, becoming very good at just a job, just a job. That's what it is. You know, it just feels like it's a job for Nikola Jokic, which no, you know, no, no shame to him. If he, if he is effective as he is at that, the game of basketball and it's just, you know, a job for him. Incredible, truly incredible. Uh, next, my next on my observations, my post game observations, uh, Jokic, has simultaneously the cutest kid uh, and his wife, Jokic and his wife, has simultaneously the cutest kid on planet Earth. And Jokic also has, at the same time, the scariest brothers I have ever seen. I would never, ever, ever want to bump into them in a back alley or anything like that. If I just bump into them, period, in the middle of a mall, I feel like they would just destroy me, just rip me in half. They were just like tossing Michael Malone up in the air like it was nothing, like he was a kid at a birthday party. One of them picked up Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is 6'11", 294 pounds. And this guy is just picking him up like he's his baby brother and, you know, touting him around in the air like it's nothing. Oh, my God, they're terrifying. But that kid, oh, my God, that kid's adorable. That kid is so Adorable when he was when she, when the kid was um, standing on the table looking at the Larry O'Brien Trophy and the MVP award, the Bill Russell MVP award as well, Finals MVP award that Nicole Jokic had just won. Oh my God! I was like, I don't care what Jokic has to say, just full crash zoom on the kid as she's just like taking it all in. <laughs> that has no idea what's going on. She's a kid, literally no idea what's going on. She might have some memory of this later on, but who knows? Who knows how kids work? You know, maybe some memory of this, but uh, for the most part, literally has no idea what's going on. And is she is just adorable. But at the same time, scariest brothers I've ever seen. The scariest two people that are together at one time that I have ever seen in my entire life are Nikola Jokic's brothers. I don't get it. They are terrifying. I think they're both very good at MMA as well, which it's like, you know, of course they are. That You look at them, you see the picture of them, and you're like, what do you think they do for a living? I think maybe everybody's first call would be uh, MMA. I, I don't think that is too far out of the realm of possibility to be the first guest for everybody. Cause they are 
terrifying. I've heard I've heard rumors that uh, one of them, their sleeve tattoos, if they like if they flex in a different way, it says it says different things like there. There are just different words on there that just pop up out of nowhere and say different things. It'll say your name and you're like, OK, now I'm really scared if they flex the wrong way. And, you know, it's just. I don't want to get into a fight with them. You know what? I don't want to be in the same room as them. Okay. Like unless yesterday it seemed like kind of fun. They were just tossing Michael Malone around like he was a stuffed animal. That seemed like fun. Like that was pretty cool. But God forbid I have to see them after, you know, Nikola Jokic has a bad game or, you know, and they lose or something like that. I don't No, Thank you. I would rather be anywhere else. You know, if I was a reporter having to go into one of the, into the Nuggets locker room afterwards and, Cole Jokic just had a bad game or something like that and um, or you know they lost or something and and his brothers were there by his side and I had to get you know audio of Nikola Jokic and his reaction and I saw both of his brothers by his side I would just leave I'd be like okay well we can do this later let's just make up what he said and say you know at the bottom star this isn't really what he said his brothers were there I was scared I crapped my pants like that's that's more, I'd be more okay with that because they are terrifying. I do not ever want to make them angry and I do not ever want to see them by myself in a back alley anywhere on planet earth. I will run away in the other direction, but nuggets win the championship. Congrats to the nuggets. Crash Nicole Jokic, uh, finals MVP as well. Of course, you know, I don't know how much he cares about it, but you know what? Everybody else cared about it because he deserved it. And he's, he's one of the greats, one of the greats of all time already. Uh, I think you can have that conversation now at just 28 years old. I think you can have that conversation now. He's he's one of the great players uh, of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program. And it is Jack and Kathleen Wood. At 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood, at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agents. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. All right, moving on. Moving on. The finals are over. Basketball season is done. Uh, it's only, you know, six, seven months away from starting up again. So, you know, not too far away. Let's move on, though. Uh, one, there's a couple of some, some good weekend sports stuff that happened in terms of comedy. Uh, I want to start, we're going to stay in the finals. Uh, and I can, uh, you know, uh, it's been a couple days since this happened, obviously weekly podcast. Give me a break. All right. Uh, heat mascot, Bernie. This was at game four of the NBA finals. So that would have been over the weekend, right? Friday, I think Friday. Yeah. Friday. Uh, Bernie. Mascot, the Heat mascot, Bernie, whoever's in there. And well, there's nobody in there. Okay, sorry. It's just the mascot, Bernie. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know who whose brilliant idea this was in Heat organization, in marketing, whoever it was. The mascot, whoever's idea this was. Um, they call out Conor McGregor to come out to center court. And Bernie's got these comically large, you know, boxing gloves on. Of course, Conor McGregor's at the game, just checking it out. He's got this weird... Um, weird red suit on that's like silk. He looks like uh, it looks almost like a robe, uh, and it looks you know. And and they call Bernie. And Bernie comes out to center stage or center center court. He's got his robe on. He's got these comically large you know boxing gloves, and he's like Conor McGregor. Gregor, let's fight, dude. And he doesn't actually say that, but that's kind of how they set it up. Uh, at half, it's halftime. By the way, this is happening during the game. It's halftime. This is your halftime entertainment. If you're a Miami Heat fan in Miami, uh, in Bernie obviously just gets knocked out, just gets destroyed. The poor guy that was sitting in Bernie just takes a right hook right to the noggin and just goes down without, you know, it uh, just goes straight down, just buckles. And uh, in all his infinite wisdom, Conor McGregor, plenty of uh, 
problems with Conor McGregor, a genuinely not great person uh, just in general. And we all know Conor McGregor, he doesn't have an off switch. It takes him literally snapping his tibia in half for him to stop fighting in the middle of a fight. And we know if he's going to lay down one punch, uh, if the guy's down, he's a UFC fighter. Fight hasn't been waved off. He's going to go in and smack one more, uh, hit, lay one more punch down. And that's exactly what he does to Bernie. Bernie's down on the ground, down for the count. Uh, it's basically over. It's clear that Bernie believes the fight is over. Everything's over. The people that were behind Bernie clearly believe that the fight is over. It's all done. And Conor McGregor, in all his infinite wisdom, uh, just goes over and lays one more down on his face, uh, on Bernie's Bernie's head or whatever, as he's laying down face up towards the sky. And uh, and it knocks him out. It knocks Bernie out. Uh, whoever the guy in there is, uh, knocks him out cold. And it's one of the funnier stories and just images that we see. Feel bad for the guy on the inside. But the people that were with Bernie, his pump-up crowd, his cut guy, you know, the whole boxing thing, uh, they drag him off the court by his feet, uh, really doing a bad job at stabling his head. Uh, but I just wanted to say... Who thought this was a good idea? Who in God's green earth thought, yeah, let's let the guy that the poor dude that doesn't get paid enough to do this. Uh, let's let him get in his mascot suit. That'll be enough protection. Let's get him in his mascot suit. Have him go out to center court in boxing gloves, comically large boxing gloves and a comically large, a comically large robe and have him just take a right hook from one of the great strikers in the history of the mixed martial arts sport just in general in the history of the ufc let's let him just take a random right hook right to the noggin and see what happens lo and behold the guy gets hit he basically gets knocked out he has to go to the hospital he had to go to the er after this like that's not a joke he actually had to go to the er uh and all reports say that he's fine you know he i think he probably just got knocked out he never maybe never been knocked out before Woke up and was like, well, okay, I got to go to the hospital, which fair enough. I think if I got knocked out, I'd be like, yeah, take me to a hospital place. I just want to, I just want to be there for like the next eight hours just to be safe. Uh, and he wakes up and now Bernie, the guy that, the guy that was in that mascot suit. Oh my God, he's going to be rich. Maybe that he was living out the dream that I think every kid has where, the, you know, you're in a group of friends or whatever. And you ask them and somebody asks them, Hey, would you take a punch from Conor McGregor? If it means you win $5 million. Like he was living out that scenario entirely. And he, lo and behold, I wonder if he regrets it. We probably will never know because I don't, you know, his head didn't fall off, which good job by you, Bernie. Your head didn't fall off or anything like that. So we never saw the person on the inside. That's mascot 101. Good job by him. So we'll never get a, uh, we'll never get a full, I think, interview with the guy that was playing as Bernie uh, because, you know, he still has got to be Bernie. If he is coming back, we'll see. He's probably going to sue either the Heat or Conor McGregor. Probably not Conor McGregor because, you know, I don't know if they had this conversation beforehand that, hey, this is what you're going to do. Definitely on the Heat, though. Like the Heat, this was stupid. This was, this is definitely, you're getting into HR problems here. Uh, I urge you to go watch the clip because it is very funny. Uh, unfortunately for Bernie, it is still very funny just to watch Conor McGregor just, you know, two-tap a, a poor guy in a, in a mascot suit for no reason other than to entertain the masses at a halftime show of the NBA finals. But, you know, I feel bad for the guy. He had to go to the ER, which totally fair, you know, not going to blame for that. If you knocked out, I probably would too. I would just go to the ER, just be like, look, I'm just going to hang out here for a couple hours just to make sure, you know, you never know. Uh, they probably gave him some, some Advil or something that get on your way. You're good, Bernie. No big deal. Get back out there. You might be needed for game six. Uh, but in the end, I mean, he's got to sue, right? If you're the mascot, the guy that's playing Bernie in that situation, you've got to sue. And I would imagine if he sues, he's probably going to win or they're going to settle. And bing, bang, boom, you just lived out every kid's dream of, hey, take a punch by Conor McGregor and win $5 million. He just did it. He just lived that out. So I'm, I'm curious to see. We'll never get an answer, I don't think. But I'm curious to know if he if he thinks it's worth it at this point. If he thought the ER trip was worth it, that he's probably going to have some sort of medical bills because, you know, duh. Uh, he went to the ER, probably rode in an ambulance, probably going to have kind of probably going to take in some medical bills. But I mean, he's probably going to get some money out of it. If he's going to sue anybody, he's probably going to get some money out of it. That is not I guarantee getting knocked out in the face, just getting hit in the face by one of the greatest punchers of all time was in the job. I don't think that was in the job description for when he signed up to be Bernie, the mascot for the Miami Heat. But who knows? I could be wrong. We'll see. I think I really do think that he's probably going to have to sue. Though. He's got to. Right. He's got to sue. Uh, that leads us to my next uh, weekend sports comedy of the weekend. John Sterling. Let me preface this. Okay. 
Uh, John Sterling, one of the great radio voices of all time, in sp- of sports, of all time. He is the Yankees radio announcer. Uh, he's in his mid-80s. He's a little older, uh, but he's still just a perfect voice, a pearly, pearly voice uh, that should be played for all to hear. Uh, he's one of the greats at calling a baseball game, uh, and he just... He got hit in the head last weekend and, you know, it wasn't bad. It was a foul ball. He was totally okay. I went on to call the game afterwards, uh, but it led to some very funny audio. uh, And I just want to play the audio because it is very funny. He was just, he was just calling the game and a foul ball is hit back towards the press box. The radio announcer area kind of looks away from it, thinking that it's not going to hit him. And lo and behold, uh, this is, this is what we get out of it. Uh, The three, two swung on a pop foul. Back here. Ow! 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 It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. So once again, it'll be a 3 2. So he continues on. He keeps going. He's got the glasses off now. He had glass of, glasses on, and then he got hit in the face, and then, you know, the glasses came off. But a funny piece of audio. He was totally fine, like I said. He, he I think he got a little bruise on his eyebrow, but he was totally fine. Went on to call the rest of the game. I think that was basically the end of the game. He went on to do uh, the end of the game. He was back for the game after. He was totally okay. I'm not making fun of somebody who actually got genuinely hurt or anything like that. He was totally fine. Just the audio is very funny. Uh, him going... Him going ow after it hits him in the face is is very comically funny. Now the three two swung on a pop foul back here. Ow! 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 It really hit. So he just he just just wears it right. I mean, he does a good job. I mean, he hits him right in the face and then he says ow a couple times. He maybe thinks there's something worse going on there than is. Maybe he's bleeding. But he feels his eyebrow. He's totally fine. And then he goes in. He's like, yeah, let me finish this game. No problem. Because he's John Sterling, man. He's the best. He's one of the greatest of all time. Nothing will stop him from calling the rest of that Yankees game. And that's what he does. He doesn't miss a single day of work. He comes back into the booth, calls the next game on the radio for WFAN uh, against the Red Sox on Sunday night. Totally fine. No big deal. The audio is just really funny. And let me say this. I don't know if there's something more old person, just old person in general, than the random like big bandage somewhere or just bandage in general, like Band-Aid somewhere on the face. You know what I mean? Like one of those CVS bandages that you see at um, that you would get at CVS or something like that, like your typical like tan colored bandages. There's nothing that screams like old people more than just the random bandage somewhere randomly on the face. You know what I'm talking about? Like your grandpa, you'll go over to your granddad's house or something like that. And he'll just have like a bandaid on his cheek for some reason, or like a bandaid over his eyebrow or somewhere on his forehead. I feel like that's just like an old person thing. You know, I, you don't see very many young people unless they've been in like an accident or something like that, where you just see their, like they just have a bandaid on their forehead or something like that. It's kind of an old person thing, which no shame. It's just an observation I'm making. You know what? Bandage up if you need to. And granted, John Sterling, he just took a foul ball to the noggin. Fair enough. You know, he put the bandage on. It was just an observation I had, you know, mid eighties up getting up there. It just feels like sometimes they, that older, older people just have random bandages over their face somewhere oh, above the eyebrow, somewhere on the forehead uh, underneath or like by the cheek or something like that underneath the jaw that like that sort of thing feels like that's just something that happens where old people just have like, you know, uh, some some blood somewhere and they just have to put a bandage on it and they just have that on their face for the rest of the day. That just feels like an old person thing. Maybe I'm going crazy here. Maybe I'm just out of uh, out of my you know expertise, but that just feels like feels like a an old person thing and that's what happened to john sterling he was totally fine but didn't have a bandage on his eyebrow over his eyebrow on the next game but he was totally fine no big deal he's calling the next game and calling the game after that like it was nothing totally just wears it you know it's shout out to john sterling not a yankees fan by the way obviously i am a red sox fan through and through so don't love the yankees at all but i know a legend when i hear on john sterling of course you've heard his call before Yankees win like that's John Sterling everybody recognizes that everybody knows that if you've ever listened to baseball you know John Sterling he's a true legend so it was cool to see him just I mean just in his element you know he's been calling games for them for 30 plus years it feels like and just nothing was sitting in a full suit with a tie on just as a classy as you could be and he just wears one right on the eyebrow out a couple hours here and you know a couple a couple hours back here ow 
but then he's right back in it. No big deal. He's totally really fine. hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. Look, see? Totally good. In the so same. once again, it'll be a 3-2. And Holmes ready to deal. A ground ball to third. Donaldson squares. Throws to first. In time. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. Just a true professional, you know, just wears one right off the eyebrow like a champion and doesn't matter, doesn't matter, just keeps going, calls the rest of the game, goes home, gets one of those big CVS bandages, puts it over his eyebrow, and he says, yeah, I'm an old man, but I don't care. I'm going to come in and call the rest of this ball game." And that's exactly what he's done. That, that's exactly what he does. Shout out to John Sterling. One of the great clips that we got over the weekend. But you know what? He's totally cool. Totally fine. No big deal. And just wore it like a champ. I appreciate that for John Sterling. Just good for him. Those were some of the funny stuff that we got this from weekend. Now, here's the thing. We had two very different, um, very different head injuries, obviously, from that from those two clips. Uh, John Sterling gets hit in the old noggin, totally fine, wears it off the eyebrow from a baseball. And then we got Bernie, the mascot, takes a right hook from Connor McGregor and basically evaporates into thin air, goes to the hospital, uh, has to go to the ER, and you know, gets checked out totally fine as well, but you know. One of them is going to be suing, and it doesn't. It's not going to be Sterling. It is almost. I mean, Bernie, Bernie, you got to sue at this point. Just, just sue, just sue the Heat, sue the Conor McGregor for all they're worth, and live totally fine out in Boca Raton for the rest of your life. Take a picture of him out in Boca Raton with the mascot suit on. That would be pretty funny, actually. If he was just chilling on the beach after he just sued the Miami Heat and Conor McGregor for all they're worth because you just put them in. One of the most dangerous situations you can put a human being in in terms of against another human being, Conor McGregor, somebody that is known for knocking other people out unconsciously. Uh, And now he's living out freely and living out very comfortably out in Boca Raton. He's still got the mascot suit on. That's how I imagine it. The guy still doesn't, you know, take he doesn't show his identity. He's still Bernie to the eyes of many people. So he's got his Bernie suit on. He's chilling at the beach. The the Bernie suits maybe got a little bandage as well somewhere on the face or something like that. And he's just chilling out on the beach somewhere in in somewhere sunny in in uh, in in California or in Florida or wherever. And now he's just chilling because he just, you know, he, he completed the question that all kids ask. Would you take a punch to the face from Conor McGregor for five million dollars? And now we're seeing. Bernie lived that out uh, in real time. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Shout out to Bernie. I hope he's okay. And John Sterling, for that matter. I hope he's okay, too. Even though it looked like he was totally fine. Just, you know, best wishes to John Sterling. One of the one of the true greats in radio of all time. Uh, all right. Let's move on. This is how we're going to conclude the show today. We're going to conclude the show with something um, that I just... I, it made me very... Uh, I saw the beginning of a funny meme that kind of transformed into something that was more sad than anything. Uh, if you were anywhere near sports social media over the past week, maybe two weeks, uh, you heard the story of Livy Dunn rising up baby Gronk, baby Gronk stealing Livy Dunn, uh, and then baby Gronk getting a tattoo of Livy's name on his, on his tricep or whatever. It's not a real tattoo. I would assume it's not a real tattoo. I don't know, but I hope it's not a real tattoo. Uh, but Livy Dunn rising up, baby Gronk. And then after that, um, uh, baby Gronk is a, a sensation, uh, a social media sensation across the, the American sports social media right now. Um, and that was a clip, uh, a weird TikTok that came out that, uh, baby Gronk and Livy Dunn, Livy Dunn had just rizzed up baby Gronk and baby Gronk is now dating Livy Dunn. Clearly not real, obviously, but it was just kind of a weird meme that transpired across sports social media over the past week, week and a half. It was really weird. Baby Gronk, for those of you that don't know, he's like 10 years old. I think he is 10 years old, so he's still a kid. It's not him doing any of this stuff. It's his father um, really just marketing his son out to the masses, to the masses of the sports world. Uh, after that, The Athletic came out with a question and answer regarding Baby Gronk and specifically his father answering the questions, obviously, uh, marketing his son to the rest of the sports world as the next big thing in football. Um, like I said, if you're unaware, baby Gronk is 10 years old um, and he's trying, he's having to do a lot of the social media presence as somebody that is becoming the next big thing in football strictly through his father, uh, which is it's kind of transformed into this whole thing where we're looking at it as more of a, it's not a meme anymore. It's more like, okay, like the dad is just forcing his kid to 
market himself in a way we don't even, you know, I don't know if he loves football, if he doesn't love football, who knows? Um, but the fact that he's kind of just forcing his kid through this entire media manipulation uh, about um, him becoming the next big thing in football. He's 10 years old. He's already got offers from a bunch of different colleges, which also is not true. Um, I think he's got one like verbal offer from Arizona or whatever, which it's like a verbal offer, which doesn't necessarily mean anything unless it's put on paper. Uh, And he's 10 years old. So you really can't, you know, you really can't be somebody that's recruited into college football programs at 10 years old. But nonetheless, uh, it is being the, the baby Gronk's dad is saying that he's being recruited everywhere. He's the next big thing in football. Uh, and he's got like 10 million followers on Instagram. It's just a really a, a a perfect example of, I think, how sports um, parents, not all of them, obvi- not even not even half of less than half, not even one percent of them are this way. Uh, but there are not even excuse me, not ninety nine percent of them are this way. Maybe one percent of them are this way. Uh, and it's very sad to see because you know the kid, baby Gronk. I'm gonna keep calling him that because I don't actually know his name. But baby Gronk clearly has no um, say in necessarily what he is being put through, um, what he is. And it's not necessarily, uh, you know, he's not being abused or anything like that, but it's just a, I think he's going to have a very different light on how he was more or less manipulated. His time through sports was manipulated by his dad as he gets older. He might actually want to go on and play college uh, football or anything like that as he gets older, play high school football. But I'd be curious to see how his dad's reaction would be if he grew up, you know, in three, four years down the line. And he just doesn't want to play football anymore. I'd be curious to see what his reaction is because a lot of this just feels like something that the dad wanted to do for his entire life. And when his career was ended or whatever, uh, he it was something that he is just forcing upon his child to become the next big thing because he couldn't be the next big thing, that sort of thing. And it's something that I think uh, we're going to have to become more aware of. As we get further into the social media era in professional sports, not even just professional sports, just sports in general, um, recruiting becomes more of an accessibility for a lot of kids playing football, middle schoolers even, uh, who can put their tape up on huddle or something like that. And it becomes more accessible for all the people around the world to see um, somebody's ability at sports and their ability at what they do even at the the young age of 10 years old and 10 years old at 10 years old. I wasn't thinking about any of this 10 years old. I was like, like, did I want to become a professional baseball player? Sure. But also when you're 10 years old, you hear kids saying that you want to, they want to become astronauts or whatever. They want to become Superman or whatever. This kid is like actually living through his parents' dream, his dad's dream of becoming a professional football player. And it's just really sad to see because it seems like the kid if he's serious about the game or not, regardless, it doesn't really matter. Um, it seems like the kid is being put through a lot of this, these situations through his dad. I mean, there are countless, countless uh, professional sports writers, uh, you know, media members, people that make podcasts as well that have DM'd um, that, that Baby Gronk has DM'd. And it's not Baby Gronk doing it. It's Baby Gronk's dad who is DMing these people trying to get some sort of media action on baby Gronk for no reason other than media exposure. Like it's not actually uh, anything other than that. And just trying to get media exposure for no other reason than to just show, Hey, it's baby Gronk. Cool. Like that's all it is. It's not like, and I'm not saying baby Gronk's a bad player or a bad football player or anything like that. It's just being put out there as media exposure for the sake of media exposure. You know, he's not putting together highlight tapes of baby Gronk. He's just creating TikTok, uh, TikTok clout for baby Gronk or, you know, media or internet clout for baby Gronk uh, because he's becoming something that's bigger and larger than life at 10 years old. And I'd be curious to see how, you know, years down the line, the kid, baby Gronk, looks back at this and how he feels about all of this because it's a very interesting situation where, again, social media is now. Uh, creating this situation for a lot of kids that we've never had before where at 10, 11, 12, even, you know, at 10, 11, 12, starting at 10, 11, 12, you can really market yourself as a player in, in each of those sports, regardless of what it is, basketball, baseball, football, you can now market them in a way that was never possible before without social media. Uh, And again, he's got like 10 million followers on Instagram, 
and he's basically essentially marketing his son's ability to these tens of millions of people as a as a football player and the you know saying that he's going to go be playing at LSU at Missouri at Kentucky and he's meeting all these head coaches in college football and stuff like that and he's 10 years old it's just like you know like what are we doing you know like let the kid live let him do whatever the hell he wants to do and, and I saw a clip earlier of them like on a podcast, both the dad and baby Gronk, which granted, if I ever was offered for either of them to be on the podcast, the answer would be hard. No, a hard stop. Absolutely not. You are not allowed. To, I don't care how much exposure it got my podcast, this podcast in general. I would never allow that sort of thing because you watch the podcast and for whatever reason, this podcast like posted, or I don't know if it was the podcast I posted this, but somebody posted a clip of the unedited version of the podcast. It's a video podcast. So there's a video clip of it. And the dad is coaching this kid who's 10 years old, who has no idea what's going on, you know, no idea what's going on through his life or anything like that. He's just a kid. Uh, and the, and the dad is just po is coaching, literally giving him verbatim the answers, answers that he is supposed to be saying on this podcast. And there's no cuts in between. So you can hear the question be asked the first time. And the dad is thinking of the answer that he wants baby Gronk to say. He leans over, tells baby Gronk what to say. And then again, the guy asks the question again, and then baby Gronk says the answer that the dad just said. And it's just so like, Gross. It makes me very uncomfortable to see that sort of thing. He's just using his child as a way to get media exposure for his kid, which granted in the long run, this kid could be set up for life for this. And towards the end, you know, he towards once he gets older, he might be end up being thankful for this because he could get some sort of even if it's not a football scholarship, he could be able to pay his way through college with this sort of money and whatever. But again, it's like the kid is never it feels like the kid is not going to be able to live through an actual childhood, which leads to all sort of uglier situations down the road as well. Uh, you don't get to actually grow up if you're being throttled into these situations where um, you're being promoted and touted as this next big college recruit. When you're 10 years old, no one knows what you're going to be in two, three years, regardless of what it is, what you're going to be seven years down the line. Like you don't even know what this kid's going to look like or what he's going to be interested just two, three years down the line. So it's just, it, it, it begins to, open up about a larger question with how we are going to handle kids, children who are good at the game of what they're playing, which baby Gronk could be very good at football. Uh, I have no idea. Um, but you know, these kids who end up being very good at the sport they play and are weird infatuation with having to market them as being the next great thing through social media platforms, because it is open to every single person and you're able to do it. Um, or every single person is able to do it with, their child, and it just becomes a weird, uncomfortable conversation that parents have to have, uh, not with their children, but with themselves. Like, do I feel okay marketing this child to millions of people, uh, even uh, because he's going to be a fantastic athlete down the line? You know, it just becomes a very weird and uncomfortable conversation. And what started as a funny, like really funny clip of a video of a TikTok and a couple of clips of uh, of TikToks uh, about you know Baby Gronk rizzing up Livy Dunn, stealing Livy Dunn from the Riz God and taking her uh, taking her as his boyfriend became a really uh, more uncomfortable conversation about um, parents really taking advantage of their kids on you know on social media and living out the dreams that the parents had through their children. And I think we're seeing a lot of that with baby Gronk, which baby Gronk isn't the first kid to have to go through this, or he's not the baby Gronk's dad. Isn't the first dad uh, to, you know, do this either. And, you know, it's not like he's the first, he's, you know, one of many, I mean, we've seen dance moms and stuff like that pageant moms that do this sort of thing as well. Uh, and, you know, at some point we just really have to have, and, and the fact that it's starting to with the, the increase in social media really bleed over into sports as well. Uh, I think we're going to have to have a very difficult conversation that is similar to what the pageant moms and dance moms have to have eventually um, about the fact that you're marketing your dream through a child and through your child, which can become very weird and uncomfortable and it's not fun. Um, but, you know, it's a conversation that I think needs to be had. Um, but yeah, I just think I wanted to bring that up because the weird evolution that we had over basically a week, two weeks time from this is pretty funny. Like this is a funny meme that we're seeing passed around the sports social media to, okay, this is kind of sad and very uncomfortable. Uh, it was kind of jarring to me. It was kind of eye opening to me that, yeah, like this is something that is now where it's something that we're going to actually have to deal with as social, social media becomes more prevalent in the world of 
um, you know, kids sports essentially, uh, and marketing your kids as, um, the next big thing in whatever sport they're playing. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, not we'll see what happens. I just hope the kid, you know, baby Gronk, I don't know his name. I keep saying that, but you know, as baby Gronk gets older, I hope he realizes that, you know, this isn't something you have to do. You know, you don't have to be doing this. You can go out, you can go be an artist for all I care. You know, for all anybody cares, just do, just live your childhood. Actually, you know what? Go out, play in the dirt a little bit, go make some friends and go, you know, you know, play in the dirt or whatever kids do. I don't know what kids do anymore, but just go be a kid. You know, you don't have to be this next big football thing all the time. Just go be a kid. You know, just go be, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. Um, anyways, sorry. That was just a, Something I noticed over the weekend, and just the 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 difference in in uh, the I the, the difference in conversation we were having around it, and how drastically it changed in over two weeks uh, was very interesting. And uh, I urge you to look up the clips of what I'm talking about, Livy Dunn raising up uh, Bruby Gronk, because it is a very funny video uh, and a couple a very funny couple of videos. But the more you delve into that conversation, the more uncomfortable I think it gets, and um, yeah, I just think there's there's something to be talked about there, and uh, I'm just posing the question. You know, I just I think the conversation is soon to be had, uh, very much so. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna end off on that. I want to thank you very much to, for tuning in to the podcast this week. Congrats to the Denver Nuggets, NBA champions, Nikola Jokic, Finals MVP, Jamal Murray as well. The guy deserves it. The guy's been dealing with injuries for the past two years. We had no idea what he was gonna be when he came out of injury, um, and now he's an NBA champion. Completely transformed his game over the past a few weeks in the playoffs and into the finals and it leads them to a championship as well as Nikola Jokic and everybody else on that team congrats to the Denver Nuggets Uh, but that is going to wrap up the show this week I want to thank you very much for tuning in Uh, thank you to Jack and Kathleen Wood 307 Real Estate please make sure you contact them for all your real estate transactions anything you need contact them for all your needs Uh, they will help you out when it comes to real estate in the Sheridan area and beyond Uh, and yeah this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast and I have been your host James Timberlake.